Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the All Saints podcast. As I record this, the season of Lent began just a few days ago, and I took a few questions from people in various contexts about the subject of fasting. That's what I want to talk with you about today. Uh, you might well ask, well, why is this podcast going out on the subject of fasting sometime after the beginning of Lent? Might it not have been a bit more useful to have had this two or three weeks before so that we could have got ready and begun Lent with a solemn fast of one kind or another lasting the 40 days of Lent leading up to Easter and so on? Well, I hope that by the end of what I have to say, um, we're at least of a mind that uh, that's not too much of a problem given what we ought to think about fasting. That's not to say, as I'll indicate in a few moments, that fasting is an irrelevant or uh, marginal subject in the scriptures, quite the contrary. But there's a reason why uh, I didn't want to uh, talk about fasting before Lent in such a way that might prompt people to spend the whole season of Lent uh, doing it. And for that, I need to turn to the scriptures, which is what I'm going to do. So first up, let's just define some terms. Uh, fasting, as commonly understood and as uh, uh, highlighted in Scripture, really means some kind of abstinence, normally from food or certain drinks, for a period of time uh, in order to devote oneself to prayer. That's how it ought to be understood. And in the most positive uh, sense, the way that it ought to be thought of as working, so to speak, is as a bodily correlate to our prayers. Now, this becomes evident from the uh, occasions in Scripture when fasting is recorded. And I want to just go through a few of them for you. I've, I, uh, excuse me if you're watching this on uh, YouTube, on the video. I'm looking sideways now because I'm looking at my screen because I've got a bunch of Bible references here that I just dug up. Um, and bottom line is, from the, the occasions on which fasting is recorded in Scripture, uh, it seems that the Lord could hardly have done a better job of highlighting the significance and importance of it, because it really seems to make a dramatic and positive impact on the outcome of events when it's undertaken. And so you've got fasting uh, in Joshua chapter 7, in the crisis with uh, the sin of Achan and so on, and the uh, defeat at Ai, uh, in the early days of the conquest, in the days of uh, Joshua, you've got David in 2 Samuel 21. You've got Ahab. I mean, even Ahab is uh, delivered from judgment when he fasts and prays in 1 Kings 21. Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 1, when he's faced with this tremendous challenge of uh, dealing with the broken down walls and shattered gates of Jerusalem. He's so broken and heartbroken and uh, grieved by the failure of his people to rebuild their city and maintain it. Uh, he fasts. The Ninevites in Jonah chapter 3, they fast, and uh, in response to that, the Lord relents from his fierce anger and they don't perish. Esther, Esther chapter 4, there, there may be a reason uh, why uh, Esther asks Mordecai and her friends to fast for me rather than to pray for me. And the reason might be because in the whole book of Esther, neither prayer nor the name of God or the Lord are mentioned. That's a way within the book of Esther, of highlighting that the Lord is hidden behind the scenes, so to speak, even though he's still present. You don't mention prayer, you don't mention him by name. Uh, but that said, the fact is that they fasted, and that's what Esther asked them to do, even if there's a, another rhetorical or theological reason behind that choice of words. Uh, Ezra chapter 8, 
Obviously, Jesus fasts in the wilderness 40 days in Matthew 4 in the parallel passages, Anna and Cornelius in the book of Act, in Luke and Acts, and Paul in 2 Corinthians 6 and 2 Corinthians 11. And one writer says, quote, pretty much every time uh, you find in Scripture an extraordinary season of humiliation and prayer, uh, that last phrase, an extraordinary season of humiliation and prayer, it's accompanied by fasting. And so if you look at these uh, kinds of situations, I've actually got in front of me uh, Joel chapter 2, where uh, the prophet has threatened a terrible judgment at the hands of the Lord against the people of God, the people of Israel. And uh, he says, yet in spite of your sins, yet even now, chapter 2 verse 12 declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will return and relent and leave a blessing behind him. So, Joel 2, all these other texts seem to highlight that when people fast in connection with their prayers, it has an extraordinary positive effect on the outcomes for which they pray, and the Lord hears those prayers and answers them graciously. Now, I said briefly that it could be understood as a, a bodily correlate of their prayers. Let me just say a word or two more about that. When we pray, we are saying with our lips to the Lord what we want him to do. We're calling upon him to act uh, in accordance with his goodness, but also in accordance with our requests. And our voices uh, bring to him our requests. Now, when we fast, what we're doing, and in, in scripture, the, the term is to, sometimes used in connection with this, is to afflict oneself. It's as though we are saying with our with the self-imposed experience of bodily discomfort that comes through hunger, we're, we're speaking in bodily ways about the fact that the world is not how it ought to be. We're praying for liberation from divine judgment. We're praying for some particular miraculous intervention in a person's life, um, uh, healing from sickness or something. And that so deep does the feeling of this isn't how things ought to be, or this isn't how we want things to be, so deep does that feeling reach that what fasting does is it expresses something is wrong with our bodily experience of there being something wrong. And if you've ever fasted yourself, and I, I have myself on occasion done so, um, then you'll know that it doesn't feel like it's right. You know, you feel hungry and there's this kind of grumbling feeling in your stomach and then the, it grows and grows and grows and then maybe it subsides a little bit. Then the next mealtime comes around and it comes back more. And so I think that's the best way of understanding it, so to speak, um, not quite psychologically, but in terms of how it works in connection with prayer and pastorally perhaps is the way to put it. A uh, brief note, I, th I should say that um, there's no indication as far as I can make out in Scripture that Fasting needs to involve uh, abstinence from all food and drink. It could just be abstinence from uh, rich foods, uh, subsistence on um, more simpler foods for a while, for a day perhaps. Um, or it could be uh, withholding from yourself certain sorts of food for a period of time. Those kinds of things would, would all be fasting. And I would certainly discourage very strongly uh, anything that was medically dangerous. So if you have any kind of medical issues, diabetes or anything that requires controlled diet, and certainly uh, we shouldn't fast from basic necessities like water. Um, I would certainly discourage anything that's going to place you in uh, medical peril. But I would say 
that in keeping with the example of Scripture, I think it would be a, a good uh, thing to consider doing, if you'd like to yourself personally, at certain times, in connection with the things which in Scripture it seems to be connected with, that is particular occasions, particular times where people are called to cry out to the Lord in particularly intense need. So then, why did I say at the start of this episode that actually I'm quite glad of not doing this podcast at a point where it might serve as an encouragement for people everywhere who are listening to this to fast for the whole period of Lent? And the reason is quite simple. I don't want to encourage people everywhere to do that. I want to draw a basic distinction between what I've been talking about so far, which is a, a, a call to fast at a particular situation, perhaps for a particular individual or a particular group of people in response to a specifically, specific divinely revealed need, if it's for a group of people. I want to distinguish between that situation and a kind of fixed communal fast which is attached in some way to the church year because it may surprise you to discover that those are extremely rare in scripture as far as we can make out uh, the only occasion on which the whole of the people of israel might have been required by the law of god under the old testament to fast was the day of atonement uh, and you can read about that in uh, the old testament scriptures uh, but He's right there in the middle of the book of Leviticus, if you're looking for the reference. Um, but uh, it's very striking that we have this uh, picture of uh, the Old Testament people as people who fasted a lot. It was the Pharisees who fasted twice a week. That was never commended. Their fasting in that kind of way on a regular schedule was um, not commended by Jesus at all. In fact, it impliedly was criticized by him as he criticized other aspects of their legalistic uh, religious piety. Uh, it's quite hard, in other words, to find in Scripture occasions on which the whole of the people of God are called to fast. And uh, the Day of Atonement is the closest you get. So it's, it hardly seems uh, reasonable in view of the balance of Scripture to then be coming to the New Covenant era, the, the era during which all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ, and then say we should prescribe a 40-day fast for the whole people of God. That would seem out of keeping with the balance of Scripture. At least it does um, as I see it. Now, a couple of caveats um, even to that. First up, I would not be uh, opposed to the idea of individual people fasting for a time during Lent. Uh, perhaps during Advent. I wouldn't want too much to discourage, for example, fasting on Good Friday. Um, as it happens, the one time during the year where my family and I have customarily fasted in the past has been on Good Friday. I think you could probably make a reasonably good case for doing that uh, as individuals or as a family uh, on th those occasions or during those periods of time. But I think you can see probably by now that that distinction becomes quite important. Let me put it like this. It would be one thing for you to say, you know what, uh, Good Friday is approaching. Um, actually, I, I would like to mark this as a day of uh, solemn reflection on uh, the death of Christ, which I guess is about the nearest thing we've got to the Old Covenant Day of Atonement. Um, and 
so to speak, in recognition of the depth of Christ's affliction for us, to afflict myself in some really quite trivial way by, well, maybe what I'd do on that day is just to eat a very simple uh, meal of just bread and butter or something. That's what my family and I used to do. When we had young children, we used to say, have as much bread and butter as you want, but we're not going to be having you know, roast chicken or, or hamburgers or anything like that. That's how we would approach it. But I wouldn't want to lay that on anybody else's conscience because I don't think scripture gives us the right to do that. As a pastor, I want to be quite careful to not lay upon people burdens that scripture doesn't give me the prerogative to lay upon people. And this really is what lies behind my, my diffidence here. Uh, if you want to fast on Good Friday by uh, abstaining from rich foods or even from uh, two or three meals during that day, then I think that's fine, subject to the medical uh, caveats I mentioned earlier. But I don't want to give anybody the impression that I'm coming close to requiring or even encouraging that because I don't think scripture does. Actually, there were dozens and dozens of feast days under the old covenant, all the Sabbaths for a start, and then all the other festivals, and just that one fast day. The people of God ought to be characterized, if scripture, scriptural balance is to be observed, preeminently by being a joyful people because of what Christ has done. We don't worship a Lord Jesus whom we need to sacrifice every week or every day or every year, like the old covenant sacrifices every day or every week or every year. Uh, we worship a Lord who has accomplished everything for us. It is finished. And I think therefore, okay, perhaps Good Friday, I could see a case for that and perhaps more tenuously for other periods. But beyond that, I don't think I'd want to commend it at all. Uh, I certainly wouldn't want to uh, talk about it in a way that placed anybody under any feeling of expectation, much less duty, that it was required of them. Now, I know there might be a bunch of other questions. Uh, sometimes people ask questions about um, uh, the dieting for health reasons and intermittent fasting and um, all those kinds of things. I think you can probably see that all those things might have some kind of fitness or health benefit. They might not have a fitness or health benefit. And I'm not the person to talk to about that. Go talk to a personal trainer about it um, or to some nutritionist. Um, but in connection with the issue of fasting for biblical reasons, just to sum up what I'd want to say, I don't think scripture warrants in general the imposition of a regular fast by church leaders on congregations. I do think scripture encourages fasting, and actually it seems to indicate that the Lord uh, habitually answers the most glorious and wonderful prayers in the most glorious and wonderful ways when we do fast. But it does so almost exclusively in response to specific needs on specific occasions, and I think I'd need to leave that in your hands, except in really dramatic situations. If if a war were declared in which our country were involved, I could just about envisage calling for a fast uh, and seeking the Lord's mercy um, to deliver us uh, from uh, the evil that was threatened against us, that kind of situation. But that's not the kind of situation we're facing. Uh, and I'm not, of course, speaking about all the wars in which we're involved, where our military servicemen and women are involved a long way away, but we're not threatened personally. I'm talking about um, a situation that doesn't prevail at the present time. So 
Listen, I hope that's helpful. I'm just glancing at the watch and I hope you'll forgive me. I need to be off somewhere else. And uh, so I'm going to cut this uh, short at this time. I wish you all the best. Uh, the Lord bless you. And I look forward, God willing, to seeing you very soon. Bye for now.